This is Hawaii's New Ice Age, Crystal Meth in the Islands, Episode 3, Living the Meth Life. I'm Bill Dorman with Hawaii Public Radio. In our first two episodes, we heard from law enforcement and judges, emergency room doctors, lawyers, and treatment professionals. Today, we're going to hear more from those who have had crystal methamphetamine at the center of their lives. HPR reporter Noe Tanigawa sat down with three women who have come through meth addictions, and these are their stories. My name is Lalea'e Kahale Punawang, or everybody calls me Buffy. Uh, It's kind of a nickname I've had for years. I'm Hannah E.E. Epstein. I'm Michelle Navarro Ishiki. It's kind of a farce to believe that drugs is where it all starts, Mm because it was alcohol. Um, I was just before my 21st birthday. So that's where it started for me, was alcohol. Yeah, that's how it started for me, too. I started drinking when I was 12, Mm -hmm. and then the harder drugs later. Yeah. Mm. I started, I think I started drinking at... Well, I mean, my first sip of a beer was probably when I was six or seven years old. And then drinking regularly at probably mm, 13, probably around there. And then from there, it just progressed to other things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's see. I started smoking weed at like 13 as well. That was, you know, that's, I, everybody says that weed is the gateway drug, you know, kind of a thing. It's like, do you think well, so? No, 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 no. It's not even, it's not even drugs. It's no. behaviors. Exactly. Behaviors are the gateway. Exactly. While behaviors may be the gateway, first experiences with crystal meth are often burned into memories. Here's Buffy. My first experience with meth was when I was 14. I had a girlfriend and I skipped school one day because they wanted to, you know, hang out. Let's go do something else. And for some odd reason, I don't know how she knew these these two men, but we ended up going to this motel, this really small, shady motel on Kauai. And um, he busts out a, you know, a meth pipe, and he's like, you guys want to try? And, yeah, sure, why not? Tried it. The moment I took that first hit, it was like, whoa, that was cool. Let's do that again. With meth, I I don't know, for me, it it felt like this rush of energy where, like, you could just go on for days and days and days, you know, without stopping. Um, But I didn't use all the time. It was maybe mm, once every two weeks, maybe, you know, just to get things going. And um, I tend, I always had a problem of doing my chores, (laughs) So, <laughs> you know, I'd take a hit and, you know, I'd be able to clean my entire room spotless all night. And you know, All night. Oh, yeah. All the room. Night. The room. Yep. Just that single small yes. little room, I'd, it'd be spotless because I guess the drug makes you just tweak on everything. Every single little thing you see wrong, you just, you clean it up and you, you know. And so some people, you know, they can function that way, mm-hmm. you know, they can complete things they can accomplish things that way um and i saw myself like that for a long time um i did a i did a lot of other drugs um but eventually it always came back to the meth buffy graduated from high school and met a guy from the mainland who flew out to hawaii to be with her buffy thought it was more romantic than her mother did 
he had no place to live, so I invited him to come home, and my mom took one look at him, and he's like, no, he's not coming in this house at all. So I pulled the, well, I'm 18 years old, and I can do whatever <laughs> I want now, you know, and so she's like, you want to do that? Fine, go, go. So I did. Left home, I packed all my stuff, and I moved out with him, and we were, um, we were living on the, on the streets. Ended up living in um, in uh, Kapiolani Park. Um, eventually, we were able to get a van, so we were living in the van. Um, and I would panhandle whenever I could, you know, just to get some money to eat, you know. And then eventually, it became all about the drugs. Living in Kapiolani Park, you don't realize what happens at night, you know. There's so much, so much things going on in there, and it's scary. Actually, it's scary. Um, we'd smoke in our van, you know. And first, at first, it was great, and then it got violent, quick. Um, we would first, you know, have yelling matches. I mean, across the park, just yelling at each other. And he was doing something stupid. I was doing something stupid, and we like, yeah, screw it, you know, <clears throat> and. Eventually, it became physical. Um, he'd hit me, I'd hit him back, you know. He'd slam me against the wall, I'd slam him in the ground, you know. It was a back-and-forth thing, and it just, it got to the point where I couldn't even recognize myself in the mirror anymore. Like, I'd look at myself um, and just like, what the hell are you doing? This is not how your life is supposed to be. I came from a very prominent Hawaiian family, and... So when friends of theirs would see me in a park having a screaming match with some guy, you know, they would go back and tell my family, you know, you know, do you realize what she's doing? So they knew about what was going on out there, you know, without me knowing, you know, I didn't realize how much people my family knew. And it broke my heart. It, it broke, well, it broke my mom's heart. Um, she was a tour driver at the time. And every once in a while, she would see me as she drove past by, and she would be crying, you know, n not recognizing her own daughter. I had eventually gotten pregnant, and I must have been 19 by now. And that kind of gave me a wake-up call. So I stopped doing everything, stopped the drugs, everything. So I went home. And I had told her, I said, look, Mom, I don't know how else to say this, but I'm pregnant. And she just kind of hugged me. And she said, it's okay. You know, we'll, we'll get through this together. A week later, Buffy suffered a miscarriage. And that floored me. That, that pain that I felt, I couldn't understand it. And after all that... Um, my mom, you know, she still loved me. My grandma still loved me. My great-grandma still loved me through all of it. Um, but it, at that time, it wasn't enough. I just, I just was in this grief, this cocoon of grief that um, wouldn't go away. So I went back to using. got even worse. You know, the, the physical fights became 
really, really bad. One day I woke up and I said, I had enough. I'm done. My boyfriend and I were having this argument at my family's house. And I remember going into the kitchen, grabbing a knife, and going upstairs to my room. And I closed myself in my closet. And just thinking that this is, I'm done. I, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot be this person that, that I am. It's, just, it's not right. It's not good. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Her boyfriend found her, took the knife, and called police. Buffy was hospitalized, put under 24-hour suicide watch. So after 24 hours was up, my grandma was there. And she just hugged me. She, um, she hugged me and she said, um, I'm here for you. And so she took me home, and um, my my boyfriend and I broke up, and um, she, uh, my grandma helped me through it. You know, she she knew it was hard for me, and you know, she said, "All I want to do is just be there for you. I just I just want to take care of you, you know, because." I was, I was her only grandchild, so, <laughs> you know. Um, <clears throat> so it was because of my grandmother. Um, I mean, not just not just my grandma, but mainly her, because she was the one that was right there. Um, because of her that I was able to clean up my act. And um, I struggled a little bit. You know, I, I would... I would be okay, and then I'd relapse again, and then I'd be okay, and then I'd relapse again. And it took a couple tries, but um, I'm, I've been clean sober now. Well, not exactly sober, because I still drink, but <laughs> um, but I've been clean for about uh, six, seven years now. Michelle's been clean for about 17 years now but she has clear memories of her first time with crystal meth. That's another point of agreement for all three women. You it's always so remember impressive. the first. It's like the first time you have sex. Yeah, that's yeah, you true. Gotta no, that's You'll true. never forget it. Mm, you'll never forget was it. it. Was you tried so to, great? but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, really, was it so great? For me, no. What happened? It was the way we did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did it off of, of a piece of foil. First time user, it was all these chemicals. I u- probably used too much, um, so I got really sick. Uh huh. Oh, and then I drank a bunch of coffee, and I got way too high. <laughs> I was a mess, and I I flew out to Arizona a few days later, and I don't remember. I was high for days, and it lasted for days for oh, yeah. freaking days. It can last a while, but I thought it lasts like twenty minutes. No. That's chronic use. No, that's yeah, that's chronic use. That's like chronic. That that's when you like smoke every single day, and you just can't get there. That's, oh, you know? that's mm-hmm. twenty minutes. That's enough to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think for me, that's where I ended up. People need to be aware. They need to be aware of what this drug does. Mm-hmm. You feel that high? Yeah, you do. But in your Somewhere in that addiction, that lifestyle, it robs you. And with that addiction, there is still a lingering question. How do you know that you'll, you, you're not going to use again? You- I am going to be 46 years old. I have been clean and sober since I was 29. 
what I see in the drugs today. I have allowed myself to believe, should I ever take another hit again, I will die. Yeah. I will die. Um, for myself, it's it's still a struggle, actually. Um, I mean, I, I know better. You know, I, I know I'm very aware of what it does and how it was at the time. But it's still a struggle. I struggle with the addiction every day. Um, it, and just one day at a time, sometimes it has to be one hour at a time. Um, I'm one of those people who has a natural addictive personality. We all do. Yeah. I think that's a big piece, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so, too. But, um, yeah, I, have, I definitely have an addictive personality. And um, with, with meth, that was definitely one I enjoyed, um, especially if it's been a hard day. You know, you just, you know, if something happened in my personal life and, you know, I sit down and I was like, you know, I could really do a hit right now. I could really just do one right now because that would be great. And I can just, you know, go do my own thing and be, you know, curl myself in a ball and I'd be fine. Um, <clears throat> but then the chaos will start all over. Oh, yeah. But the chaos <laughs> will start. And I'm very well aware of that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have to think about all these other things yep. that's going to happen if I take another hit. For Hannah, there's a strategy to staying sober. I wake up in the morning. Every morning I tell myself, I'm not going to use today. I'm going to go do something else instead. And there's times I can't go to parties and I can't go to bars and I can't leave my house because it's a bad day. And if I leave my house, I'm going to seek it out. And I know myself that well. So I just stay home. I pet my cat. I play my video games. I watch Netflix Mm -hmm. or whatever, like anything to distract my brain from going to use. Hannah also says any addiction has a starting point before the drugs. There's also a trigger for people to use for the first time. So for me, it was I was abused sexually. Um, I was raped and abused by my dad's brother from when I was 12 to 16. And so having that secret in me just push me to use. Some people, they're physically abused. Some people are told that they're nothing by their parents or their friends. Their peers are saying, oh, you're fat, you're fat. So then you go and use. So you get skinny. Or there's always a thing that happens in each person's life that really triggers them to go for that pipe, even though they know better, Mm -hmm. even though they know their parents told them they went through the dare classes Like, you know it's not good, but then there's that thing that really hits you as a person that you just feel like you cannot handle, so you use. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. You spoke of um, sexual abuse, physical abuse. Right. I went to alcohol because I was in a relationship from a very young age, and I started being physically abused at a very young age. Right. And I hid that. Mm. I hid the abuse um, with my my boyfriend at the time. I was 15. Mm -hmm. So that was my trigger. We live in this shame when something like that happens. Mm -hmm. We think it's our fault. You know, he hit me because I did something wrong. And I cannot tell because that would be wrong, too. Well, you love them. You can't tell. Exactly. I mean, you would 
open up a whole new can of worms if you told. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what we're taught as Hawaiian women is we don't open the worms. We take care of whatever that thing is. Handle yourself. Handle yourself. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that's also why it's such a big problem in Hawaii and in our culture. And it really is, we're losing the aloha of being Hawaiian. The what? The aloha, the love. We're losing it because of the drugs. The drugs are taking that away from our culture, and we're not going to know it. Our children's children, they won't know aloha if we continue to use as a culture. Primary reporting for this project was done by Noe Tanigawa and Molly Solomon of Hawaii Public Radio. Further reporting was done by Wayne Yoshioka of Hawaii Public Radio and Nick Gruby and Eric Pape of Honolulu Civil Beat. Dave Lawrence of Hawaii Public Radio did the audio editing, and HPR's Jason Taglianetti did further technical work. Thanks also to Patty Epler and Bob Ortega of Honolulu Civil Beat and everyone who spoke with us on microphone and off. I'm Bill Dorman, the writer and executive producer. Join us for our next episode, Who's Got a Better Idea? We'll look at ways forward from drug court to medical care and counseling and to opening and continuing a realistic discussion about crystal meth in Hawaii and ideas to get beyond where we are now when it comes to treatment. Oh, yeah, we treat 2,000 people. We have a large number of people, almost that many people who come to us and say, hey, uh, I'd like to slow down. Can you help me? And uh, we say we can't. We, we go, you don't have a medical necessity. No one will pay for that. The state won't pay. The insurance company won't pay. There's nothing we can do about it. And they go, where would we go? And we go, there is nowhere to go. <laughs> the message is, go out, get sicker, and then when you're really sick, come back and it will help you. Hawaii's new Ice Age, Crystal Meth in the Islands, was produced by Hawaii Public Radio with help from Honolulu Civil Beat. Find out more at hawaiipublicradio.org and civilbeat.com. <laughs>